Hello and welcome to Knowing Nature, the podcast all about exploring and engaging with the natural world. My name is Victor, and in this episode, we're going to be talking video games as a tool for engaging with nature. Joining me in this episode is Tom Luker. He's a fellow science educator from the Natural History Museum. Hello, Tom. Hello. I'm excited to be a part of this. Maybe start off with just tell us a, a bit about yourself. What's your experience in environmental education? Yeah, well, I've been in education from the get-go. Uh, I used to be a primary teacher. Uh, I've worked out in China, and environmental education has always been the the main focus. Science, biology, and everything that comes with it. So I'm in the right place working at the Natural History Museum now. Uh, it gives me a chance to to talk about just the thing I like instead of everything else, which gets in the way. The environment. <laughs> <laughs> that and, is the uh, thing with being yeah. primary school teachers you have to teach all the different right. subjects yeah yeah uh, i mean nothing against them i mean you need a well-rounded education but uh, i like the natural world more <laughs> it's a privilege to be able to really focus in on on our interests really in this episode today we are going to be talking also in our capacity as game enthusiasts i think mm. it's fair to say yes lifelong game enthusiasts i think yeah we're talking about engaging with nature and video games and how they can help. Uh, what are your thoughts? How can computer games, video games actually help kids engage with the natural world? It seems weird, doesn't it? The natural world is not digital. It's it's out there. It's it's nature. And how can you get any sort of natural experience out of it? But as we've seen over the years, especially in our lifetimes, just how much you can represent on the digital platform especially in learning that can help you understand real world concepts and real world things and there's a lot of games out there that that do a good job of representing the natural world in a learning capacity or sometimes not aimed at learning i mean games are games aren't they they're they're there to entertain but there's a lot that you can get educationally from many of these games as well so i think they're a really powerful tool my thought is that because these are virtual environments, it lets you go to places that you could never go to mm. in real life, or that would be really difficult. Yes, or you might not want to go in a real world situation, but you're happy to explore them digitally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like go inside volcanoes or, mm. you know, yeah. get into space, something like that. Something, yeah. things that are going to be way, well out of your reach. But because you've got these virtual environments where you can kind of do more or less whatever you want, you can go to these places. And it's also a safe way to interact with these environments. Uh, the only thing is, with some of these games, if you're exploring an environment that would be unsafe, very likely to be unsafe, not saying that you're generally going to come across the inside of a volcano on holiday, uh, it can instill a sense of false safety you know as much as it can inspire somebody to be interested in something uh the safety aspects of you're in a game there's no real harm going to come to you but if you did want to explore something like that it, it could be uh, it could encourage you to go somewhere that might not be a safe yeah no absolutely yeah. i think that it's a safe way to interact with these environments in the sense of it can help you build up a familiarity with an environment in a low pressure kind of way because with a lot of kids particularly young kids if you're going out and being introduced to a new environment it can be really scary but if you know that it's a game and it's a virtual environment you might be more willing to engage with that environment and then you might be able to take that sense of oh i've seen this kind of thing before into exploring similar places in the real world but again yeah point taken that this can lead to a false sense of security 
Yeah. So yeah. which which games in particular did you want to start with? Big one that I've been doing recently is Minecraft because it's mm. now one of the most successful video game franchises ever. So it's sold a lot of copies. A lot of people have played it. So it's it's really popular and successful. Mm. And I think the reason for its popularity and success is also the reason why it's a really powerful tool for helping kids to engage with the natural world actually Mm. so for anyone who's not familiar minecraft it's an open world sandboxy kind of game so you're given a virtual world it's an open world there's not really set goals i mean there kind of are a couple bosses but you don't ever actually have to go up against them and there are loads of people who use the game just for building different kinds of houses and building cities. That's right. Yeah, you can you can play it creatively. There is a mode for that where there's sort of no danger or anything. And it's basically like having a big old virtual Lego set. But yeah, there's also the survival version where you've got to fend for yourself. What makes it really great for engagement with nature is that they've incorporated quite a lot of nature-based elements into the game so they've there is this concept of there being different biomes where you find different animals and plants there's all the different materials of course uh i I would say when it comes to minecraft it's its biggest educational power is not necessarily natural history it's the working together like you said it's the 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 having a safe space where people can interact and work on projects together. So this sort of team building aspects. But I, I like that the natural history creeps in. And and that's one of the best powers of a game. It's where it's not the aim of the game to teach you. You just happen to pick things up on the way. And like you said, these these words that previously were found only in school textbooks like obsidian like lapis lazuli these these various ores in fact some slightly more obscure animals like ocelots appear in the game mm-hmm. um but i can go to a, a group of school children and say hey do you know what an ocelot is and they absolutely do um can you name me a rock that comes from lava and they'll say obsidian like you say these things have crept in and it's because they're real world things that they've incorporated in there i mean of course this game does include uh, fantastical things merge with that. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to find a mushroom biome anytime soon in the real world. Yeah. Uh, but it blends them so well together that you can't help but pick up these real world useful terms. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. The fact that you can, there is this creative mode, you can do whatever you like in the game. It, it lends itself to being used in lots of different ways. So it can be used basically as 3D modeling software but it's very intuitive. If you do one session on Minecraft, if they've never played the game before, by the end of that one lesson, they'll be able to do 90% of the stuff that's in the game. So it's, it's really very easy, easy to pick, pick up. up. <laughs> so yeah, you exactly. can then build on that. So you could create a model biome or habitat. I've seen lots of teachers who use it to build 3D models of cells. And your character in the game, you could walk around inside that cell to look at the different parts, the that's different wonderful. organelles. So there's some that. really great That's things. Amazing. As you said, there's been a couple studies on Minecraft because it has been out for a long time and teachers have been poking at the educational potential for this game. And probably the number one thing that most people mention is that it is a really great way to teach kids those interpersonal skills mm. in kind of a safe environment. Because, of course, if if you've got a class and they're building things together in one world... You have to negotiate 
the different ideas for building a particular structure. If a student breaks something that another student has built, then you need to deal with that kind of conflict. Because it's in a virtual world, it makes it a bit safe. No real lasting damage has been done. You can always undo anything. Apart from emotional damage. Don't but, you break my structure. Yeah. <laughs> but it, in navigating those, you can talk about, okay, you did this to that something that that person built. How did it that make It provides a framework for, for that learning process, for that yeah. learning opportunity. Yeah. In a way that's very different from you broke my toy, because sometimes when you break that toy, you cannot put it back together again. Yes. It's going to incur a cost to put it this. And this is just, you just put those virtual blocks back and then. Yeah, everything you know, is sort of repairable. But again, yeah. it is a simplification of the real world. And like all the games that I think we're going to talk about today, how much you can learn from a game really depends strongly on how you facilitate it. At its basic level, many of these things might just be good as a way to get into this sort of subject. I mean, it's, it's always going to be more complicated. There's always going to be more to it. But if this can spark your interest, that's the first hurdle. Uh, and that is one of the biggest powers of these games because they're games, because they're fun. Yeah, yeah. The second game recommendation that I would have is a game called Oxygen Not Included. Have you heard of this one? I have, yes. So this is a really good one. It's a space survival slash colony building game. And you control a group of duplicants, little people. They're stranded on a comet or an asteroid somewhere out in space. And you have to use those limited resources to keep yourselves alive. And you're in space, so you need to provide everything. You need food, you need water, you need oxygen, you need to figure out shelter, like a place to sleep. And you also need to deal, this is the bit that I really like, is you need to deal with the waste products of what you make as well. So your duplicants are breathing in oxygen, but they are also breathing out carbon dioxide and you have to deal with the buildup of carbon dioxide. And so there's all these elements of systems and limited resources in the game that are based on real life, based on real science. Yeah, I think management sims have got a lot to say for when it comes to education. You're given such a sense of agency because you're the one in charge. Like you have to monitor all of these processes and even processes that you might not care so much about. It, well, if you drop one of those juggling balls, you're going to lose the, the, the goal that you've got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this one's particularly good, isn't it? Oxygen not included. Yeah, because mm. things can quickly spiral out of control. You know, if you your oxygen generation system, if you run out of water because you've been using it to produce oxygen by splitting, of course, water is made of oxygen and hydrogen. You can mm -hmm. split water using electricity into those two components. If suddenly you run out of water, uh, that means that you don't have that resource anymore for irrigating your crops. So if you use it up for oxygen, you're not going to have it for food anymore. And then also mm, so it's all a balancing suddenly, act. Yeah, it's all this balancing of resources, which I think is a really great concept to introduce that really applies well in real life. This idea that resources are limited. Yeah, not everything's what fine. happens if you fine. run out of something? Yeah. Another thing that I find really great uh, in this game in particular is, again, it's got lots of different materials and properties in the game. So there's mm -hmm. different metals in the game, different minerals, and they've got different gases. So there's oxygen, hydrogen, there's chlorine gas in the game, there's mm -hmm. carbon dioxide. And what the developers have done is they've also implemented the properties of those gases, things like density and specific heat capacity. And you can take advantage of those properties of the gases 
to build more efficient systems. So a popular genre of YouTube video is uh, tutorials for how to build really efficient systems or machines in games like Oxygen Not Included right. and in Minecraft. The process of developing those really efficient systems means that you have to understand the properties of the materials in the game. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's introducing you to concepts like specific heat capacity. You know, if I use a gas with this specific specific heat capacity, I can make a more efficient heat exchanger. And that's a real thing that scientists do in real life. That's a property that chemists and scientists and engineers take advantage of. So it's good to have that, but it's implemented in a video game. And that means it's not going to work exactly the way that it does in real life. Do they use all the, the terminology for these sort of systems? Yeah, they do. Yeah, so it's all, all accurate terminology when it comes mm -hmm. to uh, machines that can, yeah, as you were saying, things like splitting up water into its constituents. Yep. Yeah, oh, that's good. But again, it's not yeah. quite fully implemented. It's a limitation that could lead you to misunderstanding how things work in real life. If you're directly applying the game to real mm. life because and it's oversimplified in the game, you could get a misunderstanding. However, if you, so again, this is as a teacher, as a parent, what you could do is talk about how is the game different from real life? So you use that game as a starting point to launch off it to develop a better understanding of how the natural world works. But um, you've got that game there so that kids, they've got that motivation. They want to achieve this thing in the game. And that means that they need to get this initial understanding. So they're self-motivated. They want to learn. They want to figure out how to do this thing. That Absolutely. means they need to learn about how these properties work. It's, it's something that I used to do when teaching at school was give a real world task. It, it makes such a difference. It gives them a sense of this sense of agency that there is this goal that they want to achieve. But in order to get there, they're going to have to learn these steps along the way. And it mm. turns out that the steps along the way were the lesson all along. That's what that's all you cared about. But it gives them this motivation. My games. Well, in some ways, it's a bit of a mixture of some of the games we've said. I mean, there's elements of Minecraft in this one, but there's also elements of uh, Endless Ocean. And it's a game that has become very well known recently uh, because of our the lockdown measures people have been stuck at home and everybody's been buying and playing animal crossing because mm -hmm, it just yes. came out as well didn't it uh, yeah so a few months ago new horizons which is the latest iteration of the game came out and it it's it's been bought in, in record numbers because everybody wants to have an escape while living in their homes uh, which is one of the things that these games can provide if you can't get out there and experience parts of the natural world now this is a franchise i fell in love with from the moment i played the first one and animal crossing is a contained island or town where the inhabitants are all sort of hello kitty style chibi animal characters mm -hmm. but as well as that it does contain real animals which are small things like bugs and fish and contains an in-game encyclopedia uh, as I said earlier, I love my in-game encyclopedias where you collect. I think that's the uh, the Pokemon collector in me. Uh, but in this situation, it's real world, real world things again. Uh, and it's not the main focus of the game. There's other aspects. So it could draw you in with the designing your house and putting all the furniture in. But then you notice that strange silhouette in the water near your house. And you use your fishing rod and out you pull uh, a yellow perch or uh, some sort of fish that you'd never heard of before. Uh, but the great thing about it is it has an in-game museum. 
where you bring these animals and then they I, I like this aspect it's a bit fictionalized but once you've caught a fish it stays alive in your pocket <laughs> take it to the museum and then you can give it to the curator and they put it on display as a living specimen so it's uh, no it's not not <laughs> not a museum of dead things which many natural history museums have to be uh, you can see it sort of interacting in this exhibit so these these invertebrates and these fish which are real world inspired uh, you can go and visit them it's sort of a reminder of your prowess of collecting and finding and catching but it also gives you a bit of information about it too so you, you can read the the interpretation in the museum and i've noticed as the years have gone by there have been different interpretations for fish that have appeared in previous games that includes things like environmental concerns oh, probably my, my all-time favorite franchise when it comes to finding out about the natural world and you could argue it's quite limited and it's, it's it's just invertebrates and fish and of course it's only a small fraction of those but they have a good variety uh, and you can really get a feel for diversity in those games mm -hmm. you know an orchid mantis versus uh a house centipede you know these are both creatures that appear in the game vastly different and you do find them in a simplified way where you would normally find them you know you find orchid mantises hiding on flowers that they're well camouflaged on these sort of things i, I really like having access to the natural world in a digital format that can springboard you to looking for these things in the real world i've been lucky enough to go go on holidays to some of the, the places where these animals are natively found. In fact, I went to Pittsburgh a year or so ago and I saw a house centipede for the first time. And I can see why people get scared of these things. They're like big, yeah. big long centipede with these massive hairs all over their body. Uh, my fiance sort of freaked out. I'm sure she won't mind me saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> when she saw this this house centipede, thinking that this is some dangerous animal. But I knew this house centipede wasn't, wasn't very dangerous. And ac actually, they're quite a, a positive animal. I remember this from Animal Crossing. While they sort of have this repulsive look about them, uh, they do eat uh, other pests that you get in the house. Yeah. So they're actually quite beneficial, a bit like spiders with flies in your house. Yeah. Uh, so it was interesting to, to, to know... Uh, about this strange animal because of Animal Crossing. And in fact, you mentioned earlier, we both work at the Natural History Museum. Uh, when I joined that institution, I, I was given a tour of some of the uh, behind the scenes areas. And uh, one of the curators opened up the, this tank full of, of interesting fish specimens. And he held up this large fish and I went, oh, is that an arapaima? He says, how on earth do you know? Well, are you a fish specialist? Is that your background? I said, no, no, no. no. What I didn't want to say is I knew that from Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, uh, that's but a, and it's a great always... thing about these games because there is that familiarity that you build up with it. So even if you don't, even if that's all you know about it is just, oh, that's one of these things. Hmm. But that familiarity for a lot of kids can really change the way that they interact with the natural world. So again, like, with the with the centipede, you know, being familiar with it means that rather than being instantly terrified with it uh, about it, you you recognize it instead. So your reaction instead of fear is is recognition as your first thing. And then you think about the context that you first interacted with that thing, right? And in your case, it was a really positive interaction. It was in, in this game. And so games like Animal Crossing, where you have these really positive interactions with the natural world and really calming ones as well can can mean that you've got a calmer reaction to it when you encounter it in real life. Um, there are fossils as well in Animal Crossing. In oh the new gosh, I, I neglected to even say that. Yeah, of course, the museum, uh, you do collect fossils. Now, here's the thing. Every day you can wander around your town 
and look for little X's in the ground and dig up fossils. Now, while this might give the false notion that you can just go out into your back garden uh, and start digging up and every day you might find something new, it does neglect the whole where do these fossils come from, how did they stay there, and there seems to be an infinite number of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that aside, when you collect these fossils and you get them identified, they are real world fossils. And I have one of the things I've been so impressed with the Animal Crossing series is how they've added more fossils in each game. As well as being exciting because it adds new content, it also adds new interest. There are some of these fossils I had never heard of before, but because of Animal Crossing, I wander around the museum and I go, ah, I know what that is. I've seen that in Animal Crossing. Uh, like We've got a fossil of a, an Animalocaris, this uh, Cambrian top predator from the oceans. Uh, and when I found one of those in Animal Crossing... I, I was I was surprised they'd included something like that. That's that's brilliant. Giving exposure to something that very unlikely you're going to see in your day to day life unless you visit a museum. And again, it changes the way that yourself and I can imagine kids like the way that they would interact with a museum is by making it more accessible. Some kids really take to fossils, like particularly dinosaur fossils, because yes, when they're yeah. when they're all set up and articulated, they're super impressive. You've got these mm-hmm. huge creatures. But when you're looking at smaller fossils, they can be less exciting for for some kids. It's difficult to engage with to see this for what it was. You've got to try and interpret it. But I can see that when you're in a museum, instead of being faced with a room full of rocks with funny shapes in them, Mm. suddenly you're looking for these things, these fossils that you've seen in the game and trying to find them in the museum. And then maybe you already know something about the fossil because the game already taught you some information or maybe you're going to then use the museum to try and learn more about these fossils that are in the game yeah the game didn't give you as much information so it it is it's this great opportunity for making the natural world accessible in a different way just in a different medium because museums can be quite quite intimidating really or quite boring and dull for a lot of kids but if they've loved playing Animal Crossing and they like the museum in Animal Crossing, then it gives them a different way of accessing museums. And I, I keep going on about it, I know, but I'll bring it up again. It's the sense of agency. It's mm-hmm. the accomplishment that comes with this because you're the one that went out and found those fossils in, in your little digital museum. Now, not everybody can own their own museum. Um, all right, Walter Rothschild, you tried, but uh, <laughs> not everybody can do that in their own life. Um, so having a digital version with where you can have this sense of accomplishment that you're adding to this knowledge that you, you you've built it up yourself. You 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 own this. <laughs> There's ownership here. I know you can't go out and own every fossil mm-hmm. in real life, but you've got this version of it. And so you see it in a museum and you go, oh, I've got one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the priceless fossil that's impossible to find. For this next bit, let's talk a bit more about ideas for how you can make the most of these games in terms of engagement with nature. I thought I'd split this into two parts. First, taking advantage of games from the perspective of a parent, and then second bit, taking advantage from the perspective of a teacher. First off, I should let everyone know, neither Tom or myself are parents. No, we are so, not. But we, we, we do interact with children from day, in our day-to-day jobs, you know, as teachers in, in various contexts, but we, we've not tried any of these in the home, so to speak, have yeah. we? So my first tip is one that applies as a parent and as a teacher and as just anyone who interacts with kids is just take interest in the game. The kids love to tell you 
what they did in the game, what they learned about the game, <laughs> what they learned in the game. They will talk to you all day about the game. And at the very least, being willing to engage in those conversations with kids or just sit and listen to the kids tell you everything that they've done in the game. At the very least, it helps to build up that relationship with the kid and what the kids are enthusiastic about. That leads on to if you're used to and if your kid is used to having conversations about games with you, then you have this opportunity to steer conversations into the direction of comparisons with the real world. Like, oh, I wonder, is that a real thing or do they just make that up in the game? And then maybe your kid already knows that it's a real thing in the real world, or maybe you want need to then go and look it up. So just engaging in the conversations means that you can take that conversation and steer it in that educational direction. Second good one that I've got is um, learn to play the game. Oh, the most powerful one, joining yeah. in. Joining yes. in. <laughs> and this is, it's really great now to be able to do that because most modern games have some kind of multiplayer aspect mm. to them. It's a, it's a really important part of the vast majority of games that are released today is the fact that you can play them in some way with other people. So take advantage of that. You can play the games with your kids. And those that don't have the multiplayer you can watch. Goodness knows over the last few years how popular watching people play games is. And a lot of the children like that these days too. They'll watch their favorite streamers. Um, Minecraft especially is a, is a massive player base of, uh, of people who are watching people play the game. Um, and so you taking an interest in watching what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, ask them about things that they're doing in the game. Like, uh, uh, maybe you could even ask them, about why? Why are you doing this? That'll give you an insight into into the, the thought processes and what they they value and what they enjoy doing. Yeah, yeah. And the if you take the time to play the game, it also gives you a better. And this applies for teachers as well. Mm. It, it gives you a better sense of what are the possibilities of the game. So it lets you know what can be done inside the game. And that means that you're better able to steer those conversations. On a more cautionary note, if you are if you play the game as well, or if you at least try out the game, it gives you a better sense of what are the potentially addicting qualities of the game? What does the game do to try and keep you playing it? And that could help you if you are then wanting to try and restrict the amount of time if they're spending a lot of time playing the game and also a lot of games nowadays unfortunately they incorporate little microtransactions within the game there's or... a lot of predatory functions in many modern games yes yeah. yeah and so if you play the game then you're more aware of what are the pitfalls for it so you actually might want to try playing a game before you get it for your kids to get a sense of is this actually the kind of game that I want the kids to play? Is there going to be the opportunities to steer conversations in productive directions? Or is the game trying too hard to get kids to want to just buy that one extra little add-on? Yeah, there, there, there are these pitfalls when it comes to games. I mean, we, we've both grown up with games and, you know, playing them, talking about them in the playground. Only the other day I heard a, a group of kids talking about Fortnite, it being a very popular game at the moment. And one of the big things about that is the sort of customizing your character. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's real money that you have to pay to get the in-game money to buy these things. And, you know, if you're the, if you're the child that plays with, another, with a friend and doesn't have the thing that's cool, well... Which leads me to my first suggestion for a strategy for limiting games is to coordinate a time with other parents where 
kids are allowed to or not allowed to play the games because again with this online multiplayer aspect that most games have if the kids know that a bunch of their friends are playing the game and they're not allowed to they're going to feel really left out and it can be a really significant part of their social life is taking part in these yeah, games it's important so, if you coordinate a time with the other parents to say like, okay, no, like we're going to have dinner at this time. So let's agree to just not have our kids play um, games at this time. Then it means that there's no child who's going to feel like they're missing out on something because none of their friends are playing either. This is a way people are going to be communicating with each other for the foreseeable future. There's going to be digital communication and games are a very powerful medium to do that. Yeah, and sometimes when kids are playing the games, it's, sometimes it's not actually even about the game. Sometimes it's about the... A lot of games will have a, an inbuilt online voice chat kind of function. Mm. So sometimes they might be... It might be more about the conversations and the talk that they're having with their friends, and they just oh, happen yeah. to be playing the game at the same time. So sometimes it's about that. So that's another thing about being aware of when your kids are playing the games, what, what are they doing? Because it'll give you a better feel for... Okay, when they're playing the games, are they? Is it because they're really addicted to this game, and that can be potentially a problem? Or oh, are they just having a conversation with their friends, and they happen to be playing a game at the same time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's a powerful, just a medium to bring people together. Mm -hmm. It's like people going to play a sports game. It's yeah, or a real world sports game. It's it's a it's a way to to bring people together. Yeah. My final tip is if you play the game with your kids and are involved in that way, then when you think it's time to take a break, being able to say, oh, you know, we should probably take a break from this for a little bit mm. is very different from you should take a break. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you if, if you impose it on them, then they're going to be more likely to be resilient or defensive. If you're, if you're playing together, then you're leading by example. Mm -hmm. You're showing them the positive behavior because you're doing it with them. Yeah, I am yeah. also going to stop playing this game now. So you can also stop playing this game now. Yeah, it's just a yeah. very different conversation to have. Because you can't do it all the time. You, you know, you've got time pressures in other senses in your life. So as long as you can do it some of the time to build up these good practices, that's that's the important thing. And then that will help for the times when you're not there playing the game with them and you're leaving them to their own devices. So let's move on to video games and a teaching game-based learning. Mm. The first thing is think about what is it that you want kids to learn? What's the best way for them to do it? Can you use a game for that? It's a different direction, but it means that it's going to fit in a bit better because it means that you're choosing the right tool for the task. Yeah, you're pulling the strings behind the scenes a little bit. Exactly. Keep in mind what is your goal in the lesson like. Or also, at what point in your teaching are you using it? Are you using it to introduce a concept and explore it? Or are you going to use it as a final assessment thing? So using it as another medium for expression of learning or demonstrating of learning. Yeah, interesting idea, that. Yeah. yeah, doing a so, presentation in Minecraft. <laughs> exactly. So, and oftentimes teachers will do this. Finishing this unit, we're going to do a project and the result of the project, it could be an essay, it could be a poster, you could have dioramas, you could do videos, a documentary. Mm. You could also incorporate something from a video game in it. So again, like if you're using Minecraft, you could use it as 3D modeling software. So instead of building like a physical diorama, you could do it inside the game. And this is part of the flexibility of Minecraft is if they're going to film a video or a documentary, instead of filming themselves physically acting things out, 
you can do that kind of thing inside the game mm. take advantage of it as a medium for expression yeah oh man can you imagine the buy-in you get for that okay yeah. glass we're gonna we're gonna make our presentation but we're gonna record ourselves doing it in minecraft <laughs> yeah and it's just oh. you know it, it's taking advantage of that motivation they want to play this game you're just steering that that energy into the direction that you want it we talked a lot about how games can oversimplify the natural world as well because the natural world is big and complicated it's a pitfall yeah it's a danger yeah. of these things and this is where an idea for using these games would be to explore differences between the game and the natural world because the fact that students will have familiarity with how the game world works it gives them that starting point it can be easier for them to get a sense of how the more complicated natural world works and explain why it's different it also means that you're moving up you know bloom's taxonomy of learning being able to explain differences that kind of analysis evaluation is higher up in bloom's taxonomy there there is there's even the the pitfall of of not just not oversimplifying but but misinforming uh, I, I just thought of those uh, Animal Crossing fossils in the museum. You know, if the interpretation was one thing and there are more recent discoveries afterwards, it turns out that that game has false information. And for the foreseeable future, if somebody was to play that game, they would be given a, an, a, an incorrect view of the natural world, a smaller part as it may be. Uh, so these, these games, like books, can be dated, but unlike books, they don't get revised versions. They Well, I guess you could argue that newer get like animal crossing new horizons versus welcome amiibo whatever um but it's another pitfall it's it's the the progress of information and the natural world is being discovered all the time and we get more more accurate understanding the longer we go exploring discovering it absolutely and that's actually something it's a concept that you could approach through games by looking at because games do receive patches, you know, Fortnite gets updated with new stuff. So mm. they'll be aware of this idea that developers will go into the game and they're fixing bugs, they're updating content, they're changing the way the game works. Yeah, you this... might be able to use that as an analogy for how science works. Yeah, so I guess that is the power of patch notes, isn't it? But we updated this. Yeah. Um, and having having a log of patch notes, I think, is important because then you can see how it's changed and what yeah. was in, what was introduced uh, it's one of those sort of ignoring how we got to this point just accepting it as face value it's important to have to keep track same yeah. reason that wikipedia has links to all of its references you know you need to be able to track the source of where this information came from yeah and that can be really empowering for students and I, a lot of teachers will do this already well they'll have a subject journal where students keep track of what they did what they learned at the start of a unit they might write down things that they thought they knew about a topic and then revisit it as the unit goes on and being able to see how much they've learned and changed it can be really empowering for students it gives them that again that sense of achievement and like wow look how far i've come because yes. they can go back through their their patch the patch notes on their understanding as it were and they can see oh man i used to think this at the beginning like wow i will say though that is a that is a a view that has to be learnt. It's quite often the the natural instinct of a child to sweep their mistakes under the under the rug. But again, like that's the great thing about patch notes, right? It's kind of it's seeing developers acknowledge the mistakes that they made, the community made them aware of it, and they fixed it. So it, it could be a way of helping kids to see that no, it's it's okay to, yeah, so, to make mistakes and learn from them and fix yeah. them. 
One final thought I had for teachers, if you're looking at game-based learning, depending on what game it is you're thinking of using for your platform, if you're using something that's open-ended, beware of being too prescriptive of what you want kids to do because the... Yeah, and be aware of setting a task that's too different from the essential nature of whatever the game is because you take away what's fun about the game. The point oh, of anything using, can be turned into work. And and this is the benefit of this game-based learning, using games to teach about the natural world or, or anything, is that the kids want to play the game and you're taking advantage of that desire that they have, of the work that the game developers did right? <laughs> to make the kids want mm, yeah. to play it. You're taking advantage of it, you're harnessing it, and you're just sort of turning it in the direction that you want it. So be aware, think about what are the fun aspects of the game, whatever you're asking the kids to do, is it taking away too much from that fun aspect? Uh, one sort of genre or group of games that we haven't really talked about, but are important in the edu educational context, and that is the power of AR, uh, yes. And also the power of, uh, oh gosh, what's the term for them? Uh, gamification is a very powerful tool, a, a game that encourages you to do something in the real world. Now, whether that is Pokemon Smile, which encourages you to brush your teeth, <laughs> or whether it's uh, iNaturalist, an app that encourages you to go out and find things in the real natural world and, and sort of catalogue them in, in a way. A bit like a real-world version of the Animal Crossing thing we were talking about earlier. Augmented reality is challenging because it's still a pretty new technology. Probably one of the most effective examples of AR that I've seen is building something in a any three-dimensional modeling software. So again, Minecraft, it, it works for this well. You can build something in the game. You can export it and then view it in the real world in augmented reality. So that means that what you could do and what I've seen schools do is they've designed elements of their schoolyard. So one school, they designed a new toilet block, for instance, is a okay. really unexciting yeah. one. But you could also design a new... Hey, you can make designing a toilet block exciting. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so the kids, they, did, they worked in groups to design and build a new toilet block, built it in the game... And then they could view it in augmented reality in the schoolyard, take pictures of it there. So then they can see, okay, get a sense of if we did something like this, what would it look like and help them in their the design and planning process. But you could apply that to things like designing a wildlife garden. You could design it in a 3D software, view it in augmented reality in real life. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. Oh, I, li I like that. I really, yeah, I hadn't, hadn't considered the use of it in that way. Visualizing something is much more powerful when you can overlay it. Uh, one final thought. During one of the things I was saying earlier, I got a little bit distracted because a red kite flew down, talking of the natural world, and uh, attempted to, to nab one of the blue tits on my bird feeder outside. <laughs> so uh, I can't escape the natural world right now. It's <laughs> very exciting. Yeah, it didn't get it. Don't worry. It's all right. It didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tom, for joining me on this episode. You're welcome. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, I listened to lots of podcasts, never been part of one. Well, hopefully we'll have you back on for more. If you want more notes on any of the things that were mentioned in the podcast, of course, you can find them in the show notes that are on our website, which is at knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. If you've got questions or comments, of course, send them in to us at knowingnaturepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at kn underscore podcast. 
And if this topic has interested you, then stay tuned. The next episode that's coming out is going to be an interview with a colleague of mine at the Royal Ontario Museum who's piloted a, a Minecraft program for schools. That's exciting. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. But thanks for listening. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys.